interrupt this broadcast to bring you a revolution. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now. I'm worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory. Why don't you yell for the people? Why don't you struggle for the people? Why don't you die for the This is 91.7 The Edge, WSUW. I am your host, Kenny G. And as always, this is Stay Woke, where we pretty much undiscover truths and provide a voice to the voiceless. Now, the weather's outside is changing for the better, and I'm excited. I've been calling for at least 40 degrees to come through Wisconsin, but I'm going to blame it on that. I'm going to blame the good weather on me being sick now. As I hopefully do not cough through this hour, we need a we need a cough button. I don't see one up here, um, but I'll do my best. It's a good show, so I don't definitely don't want to mess it up with some crazy coughing, distract people from really from what's really going on. So my topic today is a really important, like I said, and it's been discussed in the national media, even local media as well. But really, nothing significant has been done, so the problem has continued to persist. So here's why you need to stay woke. Around one in five women are targets of attempted or completed sexual assault while they are college students. Less than 5% of rapes and attempted rapes of college students are reported to campus authorities or or law enforcement. So my topic today is the culture of sexual assault on college campuses. I noticed a while back that universities were really struggling to deal with these cases causing Title IX investigations to be open. You had more and more Title IX investigations open up on one campus, and then you look up, it was another, it was a different school in the news, in a different one. And I just noticed there's just like a pattern that these schools were not properly investigating these cases. And so I thought, what better show to do on Stay Woke than the problem of a campus culture of sexual assault. To further illustrate this growing problem, according to a CNBC article, there are 139 colleges being investigated over concern about whether the school schools violated Title IX in their handling of sexual violence cases, said the U.S. Department of Education. And then they sent an email to CNBC and they said that this is up from 55 cases under investigation in May 2014. So you go from 55 cases in 2014 to now we have 139 college and universities being investigated by the Office of Civil Rights. But the topic of sexual assault in colleges doesn't just end with the general body. You also have athletic teams that have recently been thrust into the spotlight, and a major one that caught a lot of media attention involved Peyton Manning, the Super Bowl-winning QB with the Denver Broncos, and the allegations against him at the University of Tennessee, which includes a lawsuit against the school that outlines a roughly 20-year history of alleged sexual and criminal misconduct among male football and basketball players. 
So not only do you have institutions struggling with sexual sexual assault cases in the general body, but the problem is compounded with athletics and the individual culture that they have created. But the problem of sexual assault on college campuses is not a new one, of course. This has been happening for years. But I remember a few years ago I was watching a special, it was on either NBC or ABC, where some young women were talking about their experiences being sexually assaulted on Ivy League campuses and how those universities responded often poorly with some of the women having to constantly see their attacker around campus, effectively reliving the trauma of being attacked. In fact, among college women, 9 in 10 victims of rape and sexual assault knew their offender. And I remember watching the story of one of the young women who was telling her story about um, her Ivy League experience. And she went to Columbia and she titled her senior thesis, Carry That Weight, in which she carried a mattress everywhere she went on campus to protest the school's failure to expel the young man who she says raped her the first day of her sophomore year. She even continued to make her point. On graduation day, when she hauled a mattress on stage to receive her degree. So I believe it's imperative that institutions respond to these allegations in a matter that considers the situation of both the accused and the accuser. There should be a due process for both individuals, especially if they are both students at the university. But for some reason, these schools have been struggling for a long time with how to deal with these cases. And as we've seen in the media, in a lot of times, they've gotten it wrong. I was thinking about it even here at Whitewater. We can't seem to get it right either. I've sat in meetings where we've discussed sexual assault cases that were maybe in the news or maybe in a you know, certain article, you know, just to see what people in the room, how they would handle that situation if it was here at UW-Whitewater. And these cases aren't always cut and dry. So one of the ones we looked at was both parties involved had been drinking, and then they went off and had an experience with with each other. And so in that case, you know, what does consent look like with both parties having been intoxicated? And, of course, school administrators are human, so they're going to make mistakes. That's why I believe even the accused has to be treated innocent until proven guilty. There's always this big rush to judgment in sexual assault cases because people can, of course, sympathize with any victim. But if it turns out that the accused is, in fact, innocent, then their reputation is forever damaged. It creates suspicions on future victims that speak out against their attacker. I know a lot of people probably remember the case, I believe it was at Duke University, the lacrosse team. Huge national story. Everybody covered it for months. It, just would, it was a story that just wouldn't go away. And everybody was looking at these young boys, probably, I think, I think all of them were white. So they were thinking, hey, rich kids. And just kind of drug their reputation through the mud. And I believe they came out that the young lady had lied. So that hurts all parties involved. Now people that have real cases that they need heard and they need to be investigated, they're going to be looked at kind of with a side eye. 
because people have lied in the past, and then these young boys have to live with their reputation being damaged in the media as well. In one story that I found, it was written by a columnist on Cleveland.com. He talked about two college students that were drinking one night, and then they had a seemingly one-night stand. But all of a sudden, a Title IX investigation was opened for the guy. And the Title IX investigator heard testimony that both parties were seen drinking heavily, engaged in overt displays of affection, and they left together late at night. The investigator, when she talked to both parties, she noticed that the she or he noticed that the accuser displayed great emotional distress when interviewed about the event. And it was determined that she was too drunk to have given consent. So therefore, she suffered a sexual assault. It was explained to the accused that he did not demonstrate sufficient remorse and that his lack of emotional response was a dominant de determining factor in suspending his college career for two years or until his accuser graduates. As demonstrated by this story, the Title IX investigator has a lot of power. Often, they are playing judge, jury, and prosecutor. Now, when I think about the spirit of Title IX and what it stands for and and why it was created, it has validity. But the execution has failed many students. So I mentioned earlier that Whitewater has dealt with this issue. Last year, a student filed a Title IX complaint alleging that she had been subjected to discrimination that was reflective of a, as she put it, systemic gender-based response that favored her male assailant. So... I have Rachel Liska in her own words with an interview she did for a local TV station here in Wisconsin. A sex assault survivor is accusing the University of Wisconsin Whitewater of violating her civil rights. Hers is the second Title IX complaint against the school in the last year and a half. She's a 4.0 student, an Army ROTC graduate, a volunteer EMT, and was the university's pick to speak at spring commencement. She's identifying herself and telling her story tonight. It's an exclusive conversation with News 3 investigative reporter Adam Schrager. Adam? Eric and Michelle, Rachel Liska knows the general policy of News 3 and other media outlets is not to name sexual assault survivors. But she wants her name known, she wants her face shown, and more importantly, she wants her story told. This campus used to be one of my favorite places. Rachel Liska's positive feelings about the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater are now spoken about in the past tense. I really loved it here. I really loved UW-Whitewater. A year ago, Rachel entered Higher Hall and told the Dean of Students, Mary Beth Mackin, she'd been sexually assaulted by a fellow student. It was breaking me. It was like a 200-pound weight on my shoulders all the time. She wanted Dean Mackin to share that burden, to help her once again appreciate the place she'd spent her college years. I was asking them really to make me feel safe again on this campus. That's all I wanted. I just wanted to feel safe again. Rachel's Title IX complaint filed against the school lists a series of decisions Dean Mackin allegedly made in violation of Rachel's civil rights. She says the dean didn't interview two of her witnesses, did not accept her medical records, didn't accept the police report into the incident, and didn't issue a no-contact order with the man she'd accused 
even after he'd retaliated against her twice on campus. I got assaulted twice, once by my attacker, which was the traumatic, horrific part, but again by the school, which was the betrayal. Rachel and her attacker were both in the Army ROTC program on campus, and after three months, the Army, not the school, finally removed him from her classes. I feel that the school absolutely wanted me to be quiet and to go away. Thank you, Dr. Copper. And in what she describes as a sort of cruel irony, the same administrator she criticized selected her to speak to thousands of people at the school's spring commencement. She says her message to be a difference maker wasn't simply directed to her fellow graduates. The most beautiful thing about it is that we are all blessed with this title. We are all equipped with the ability to make a difference in the world. And that ability becomes a responsibility once you become aware of it. Rachel says the reaction from Dean Mackin was telling. And she came up to me and gave me a thumbs up and said, good job. And so to me, um, she heard it. She heard my speech. She heard the message. I just don't know if she realized that I was talking to her. Now Rachel is talking to the whole Whitewater campus, where she's again taking classes toward a goal of becoming a high school history teacher. It matters to me that people take it seriously. It doesn't matter to me specifically what their opinions are about the assault itself. What matters to me is how people feel I was treated by the institution that I trusted most. An institution that still uses her image to promote its campus with prospective students. A campus Rachel is fighting for the best way she knows how. I want my face and my name attached to the story. I want it to be personal. I want people to take it personally, and I want there to be change out of it. A spokesperson for the university told News 3 it could not comment on a pending investigation, but sent us a statement that stressed UW-Whitewater's commitment to raising awareness about the existence and impact of sexual violence and taking active steps toward preventing it on campus. Sarah Cool also wrote that the university takes all complaints very seriously and every complaint is handled, she writes, with care and compassion for all parties involved. The Walworth County DA's office declined to pursue criminal charges in Rachel's case, but Army investigators are still looking into the matter. Meanwhile, federal civil rights investigators will come to Whitewater to investigate her complaint early next year at stake, Eric and Michelle, is potentially millions of dollars in federal help and also how that university treats future sex assault survivors. Well, pretty powerful story. A lot of courage from this young woman. Without question. Again, Rachel's story isn't uncommon. That type of response is happening on campus campuses around the nation for different reasons, I'm sure. You know, it's sad, of course. Every student should feel protected, and especially for a university that they really enjoy, really love. In the case of the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, along with its athletic program, there is currently a lawsuit involving eight college women that say they were victimized by some of the school's highest-profile athletes. The women... All former students say that the university did little to protect the students who accused football and basketball players of sexual assault or related misconduct. The attorneys for the women, of course, allege that during the university's initial investigation, six athletes in the complaint were found to have committed sexual assaults but were allowed to stay in school. One of the women says that 
last spring, one of the players, LaVon Pearson, on the football team, sexually assaulted her in his apartment. The University of Tennessee found that Pearson engaged in sexual conduct with the plaintiff without her consent, was a quote, and is suspending him, leading Pearson to ask for a formal administrative hearing. The Knox County District Attorney declined to file charges, and then the suspension was lifted and Pearson was reinstated to the football team. The woman, according to the complaint, decided to drop out of the University of Tennessee. Of course, the university has responded. The University of Tennessee responded and called the allegations in the lawsuit false, and they deny any procedures that create hurdles for sexual assault victims or makes them feel less safe. William Ramsey, an attorney, of course, representing the university, said, we don't have a climate that promotes this culture and says we have a commitment to providing a safe environment for our students and support those who who report sexual assault. Now, the blasé attitude by campus administrators, especially in sports, may seem familiar to sports sports fans. If you recall, just a few short years back, Jameis Winston, who is the current quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but at the time, he was the QB for Florida State University, and it was revealed during the season that a young lady had accused him of allegedly attacking her at an off-campus apartment in Tallahassee. She filed a federal complaint alleging that the university did not investigate the reported rape and acted deliberately indifferent. Now, it's sad that even even I have become jaded when it comes to athletes and reports of sexual assault because so many times these athletes are targeted in such an unfair way. And you find out later on, like in the case of Duke, what the person was creating this entire story for whatever vendetta that they may have against that athlete. And so you become jaded, especially when it comes to athletes, and then it gets even more complicated if that's your favorite athlete or if that's your favorite team. And now you have this, well, did that person, do, you know, you don't, you don't really know, you don't, you have this certain attitude toward it. So most recently, Baylor University has come under fire for its handling of sexual assault cases. Now, ESPN's Outside the Lines interviewed alleged victims about their experience and how the school failed to properly examine allegations and did not offer support to the victims. And in this clip that I have, they also interviewed the accused while he was in jail. And so you get kind of his side of what this story is all about as well. Ball team is their priority. The money that comes to them is their priority. They don't care about the victims. He actually picked me up, put me over his shoulder, walked up the flight of stairs. I knew that when he kicked my dog down the stairs, this is going to get violent. I called the academic department and I spoke to a lady and I specifically said my daughter was raped. She told me, if a plane falls on your daughter, there's nothing we can do to help you. As a Christian person, you strive to be 
the light on the hill that people look to as kind of a guidepost. And in my mind, as a Christian university, that should be what you strive to be too. This woman, whom we'll call Sarah, was a member of Baylor's equestrian team. She briefly dated future Baylor football player Tevin Elliott while he was a recruit, but broke up with him before he began his first semester. So I said, that's where this is. We can be friends. And I was very straightforward on that point. In the fall of 2009, Elliott arrived at Baylor and the two stayed friends. On Halloween, after a night out at a local bar with her teammates, Sarah returned home and passed out. So the next morning I woke up, I don't remember what time it was, it was maybe nine o'clock, and I woke up completely naked. There was like residue on me, like I'd had sex, and that was part of what was really bothering me. Sarah's roommate told her Elliot had been in their apartment that night. Then Sarah called Elliot, who she said told her that they had had sex. It couldn't have been consensual. Sarah decided not to report the incident to police. I convinced myself it was an accident. He didn't mean to do it. He didn't know what he was doing. Then, you know, he could go on to play football. At that time, Baylor football under head coach Art Bryles was emerging as a national power. While Elliott was making a name for himself as a starting defensive end. The Bears finished in the top 25 in 2011, the first time since the mid 80s. March 27, 2012. A Baylor student-athlete we'll call Kim says she didn't know Elliot personally when she needed a favor toward the end of her senior year. I needed someone to help me move a desk up a flight of stairs. So I kind of asked around. They were like, I think Tevin Elliott's still there. Why don't you ask him? And then when I asked him and he said yes, I was like, awesome, great. Chivalry is not dead. After a few moments of small talk, Kim says Elliot began playfully touching her. Then after he kind of started progressively teasing me and not, not teasing, but poking, you know, like kind of trying to wrestle with me a little bit. And I'm like, dude, not cool. You know, back off, back off. And then it got to a point where he was like full out trying to wrestle with me. And I got really nervous and things started uh, turning, becoming real. Then Kim says Elliot hoisted her over his shoulder and carried her upstairs. He put me face down into the bed and pulled down my pants and proceeded to rape me. And I do remember picking my head up and saying no. And um, just like looking at him and he fed off of that energy. And to him, that was yes. He liked that energy. Kim says she refused to leave her apartment for a few days, but eventually filed a report with the Waco Police Department. Then she asked for help from Baylor and was directed to Bethany McCraw, the chief judicial officer. She essentially said, why are you here? And I said, well, Tevin Elliott, I don't know if you know Tevin Elliott. She's like, oh, yeah. I, and I goes, he, he raped me. And she goes, yeah, you're the sixth girl to come in and tell me this. My mom was with me. And we essentially asked, well, why are there six? Does the football team know about this? Does Art Bryles know about this? And she said, yes, they know about it, but it turns into a he said, she said. So there's got to be a, you know, an actual court decision in order to act on it in any sort of way. 
Federal law requires universities to thoroughly investigate all allegations of sexual assault. However, Outside the Lines has found no evidence Baylor did that. Kim also says McCraw dissuaded her from pressing charges or requesting a restraining order. She was, however, offered help with finals. I'm like, okay, well, I guess my only option is to graduate and get the heck out of here. Hey, that's it. She was like, okay, well, we'll make that happen. Like, she should run along. Outside the lines asked McCraw about Kim's account of their conversation. McCraw said that it was not accurate, but refused to comment further. Two weeks after Kim reported her rape, a freshman we'll call Tanya told police she was raped by Elliot after he got her alone outside of a party shortly after they'd first met. He literally has picked me up and my mind cannot process the fact that I was being carried by someone who I ex told explicitly, I do not want you to pick me up, like put me down. Tanya says she was a virgin when Elliot raped her. She reported it to police and then sought counseling from Baylor Student Health Services. They didn't just not respond, they responded by turning me away and telling me that it was not possible for me to receive help from them. As soon as this happened, oh, you might tarnish the reputation of one of our football players and like worse the program, we're just going to completely deny you any sort of help. Federal law also mandates universities provide counseling and academic support to students who allege they're victims of a sexual assault. Hanya says after the rape, she had trouble focusing on her classwork and her grades plummeted. She eventually lost her academic scholarship and soon left school altogether. This is not where I dropped her off. When we dropped her off, there was love and compassion and unity and safety. And there was nothing like that from this university. Two weeks after Tanya reported Elliot to police, on April 27, 2012, Coach Art Bryles suspended him in connection with Tanya's allegation. He'd eventually be expelled, and his arrest three days later landed in the local news. The story reached Sarah, and she decided to finally report Elliot to Waco police two and a half years after she says she was assaulted. I ended up calling my mom that was the first time that I told her about what happened. She said, when you went through that, you were alone. Right now, she's alone. And as far as she knows, she's the only one. And so she said, you have an opportunity to make her not alone. Elliot's trial revealed two more sexual assault allegations while he was a student at Baylor, including an accusation in 2011 from a student from a nearby community college who said he held her against her will and touched her inappropriately. For this, he was convicted of misdemeanor assault. Former Baylor football player found guilty of two counts of sexual assault. In January 2014, Elliot was sentenced to 20 years in prison for his attack on Tanya. Outside the lines went to the prison and Elliot agreed to speak on camera. You started in the fall of 2009, mm. and there was someone who complained that you had, had assaulted her. Mm. She says that you had sex with her without her consent. Mm -hmm. What's your response to that? Um, I mean, that's, that's untrue. March of 2012, another woman says you forced her to have sex in her condo. No, that, uh, that, that's a lot. I can't really go into detail with that, you know what I'm saying? 
All that, that is that's ridiculous. You know, I, I would never do no stuff like that, and like I said, I can't go into detail with that neither. And then the last one that the that the, the trial was actually um, focused on, mm -hmm. and you know, her story. Obviously, she mm -hmm. says you picked her up at a party and had sex with her without her consent. Mm -hmm. I can't really talk about that. Going into detail about it, um, I really wish I could. You know, and tell you to give, give you the real facts, the true story, what really happened. But you know, I can't. How could five women who really didn't know each other before yeah. coming forward with this all say that you raped them or yeah. attempted to rape them well, and be lying? College athletes go through this all the time. Not not just myself. I'm talking about uh, Jameis Winston, uh, uh, Case McCoy. Uh, it's so many athletes go through this uh, every year because we're the big athletes and we got you know we sit on a pedestal and they feel like you know try to make us look bad. But at the end of the day, you know. We could, be, we could be innocent. It's like we guilty to proven innocent. Elliot says the first time anyone at Baylor approached him about the allegations was in April 2012, after Tanya came forward. But sources told outside the lines Baylor's Judicial Affairs Department was aware in November 2011 of Elliot's misdemeanor assault conviction involving the community college student. Then, just five months after Elliott's felony conviction, there would be another Baylor football player indicted for sexual assault. Was it rape or consensual sex? That's the key question in the trial of a Baylor football player charged with sexual assault. Samuel Ukuwachu was on trial for the alleged rape of a female Baylor soccer player. I heard it on the news. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, they didn't take it seriously. It's like they didn't take the Tevin thing seriously. Like, we really didn't... Did, what, did we not cry out enough for something to be done? In the case of Ukuwachu, Baylor University did an investigation that cleared him of any wrongdoing. In a word, how would you characterize their investigation? I wouldn't call it an investigation. McLennan County Assistant District Attorney Hillary Laborde says Baylor officials ignored sources and faulted the victim for having a prior relationship with Ukuachu. I feel like the woman doing the investigation had an almost like 1940s idea of how women should behave. They didn't have someone that seemed to know anything about how college rape occurs. If they're sitting around and waiting for a victim who has been um, pulled off the jogging path and raped by a stranger wearing a trench coat, um, they're gonna be waiting for a long time. Baylor declined to make head coach Art Bryles and university president Ken Starr available, but instead provided Patty Crawford, who was hired as the school's first ever Title IX coordinator in November of 2014, a position the U.S. Department of Education has requested of universities since 2011. We have encouraged our board of directors, our board of regents, to hire an external review to come forward and to look at our past processes because we do want to be our best and we're always wanting to be an improvement from yesterday and to me that just demonstrates that Baylor really does care. Following the indictment, Ukuachu remained on the team for one year and graduated from Baylor. In August of 2015, Ukuachu was found guilty of sexual assault. Prompted by Ukuachu's conviction, Sarah, Tevin Elliott's first known victim, sent an email November 3, 2015 to Baylor President Ken Starr, copying others, including Athletic Director Ian McCaw and Coach Bryles. I didn't hear from the coach. I didn't hear from the president. I didn't hear from the athletic director. And what was your subject line? 
I was raped at Baylor. What does it take for universities to start taking a stand and saying that we can win football games without these predators? How many women do you have to destroy for people to finally stand up and say, like, we're demanding something better? That was a story by ESPN's Outside the Lines, and they interviewed some victims, sexual assault victims at Baylor University. And they also talked to one of the accused as well and got his side. But it's a story that is sad. It should never happen. When parents send their kids off to school, the hope is they're learning, they're enjoying, they're experiencing new things as far as maybe going to study abroad. They're getting useful information for another position when they get out of college. But to experience something as traumatic as some of these women are experiencing, and then to also be re-traumatized by the university not being able to deal with it correctly, just makes you wonder. There was a Chicago Tribune study of 171 reported campus sex crimes between 2005 and 2011, which found that only 12 ended with arrest, and just one student accused of attacking another student was convicted. In a 2004 study of rapes in Philadelphia and Kansas City, it was found that acquaintance rapes, the victim's character and behavior, such as whether she had been drinking or whether she had invited the man to her house, affected prosecutors' decisions about bringing charges. The issue of rape culture is is a real big issue. I remember last, it was about just this past year, I was helping my little sister write a paper about sexual assault. And as I was doing my research, so I knew what I was talking about, I read a case where the victim was on trial, well, she was at the trial, and they were grilling her about how many drinks she had that night, some of the comments she had been making to the people that were at the bar that she was at. And the more and more questions that they asked her, it just seemed as if the lawyer was... The lawyer was trying to make a point, and it was trying to get to the fact that her decisions that night were some of the cause of what happened. And if it wasn't bad enough that the lawyers, you know, they have their job to do, whether it be the, you know, the prosecution or the defense lawyers, they have their jobs to do. But if that wasn't bad enough... The interrogation really didn't stop with the lawyers. At the end of the trial, the judge admonished the young woman for her choice of clothing that night, for her drinking choices. Even though he told the young man that you acted wrongly, he still showed victim blaming. And so if you're not really sure what rape culture is, some examples are blaming the victim. She asked for it. Trivializing sexual assault, meaning boys will be boys. Sexually explicit jokes. um, A tolerance of sexual harassment. Inflating false rape report statistics. And so it's this culture that this is okay. You know, boys are, you know, strong men and things like that. So you're creating a culture in which women don't feel safe 
when something like this happens. And victim blaming by law enforcement, I thought was poor taste. Because as the judge was effectively telling her, you made a mistake by what you did that night. You kind of caused this to happen. Other victims are looking at this as, well, here's a judge admonishing a victim, an alleged victim. So what does that mean for any anybody that wants to come out and speak about their experience? It doesn't, to me, it wouldn't seem like somebody would be jumping at the chance to do this. And so even law enforcement has to be aware of the type of culture that they're creating in their courtrooms. I think it's just a dangerous message to send to the to young men and women out there, especially when you think about college students. That's they tend to take more chances in their young adulthood than you would as an older adult that's been that's lived and seen some things. And so you have that little leeway where you understand that college students often push limits that maybe they don't understand that they shouldn't. So in this next clip, the politician, Senator Elizabeth Warren, addressed this issue at a committee hearing where she was just asking questions about prevention at higher institutions. We've talked about the numbers. According to the CDC, an estimated 19 percent of women will experience a sexual assault while in college. One in five women means something is very, very wrong. Students, all students, should be safe on campus. Now, Ms. Bolger highlights the importance of climate surveys and particularly the importance of making the data that comes from those public. And I strongly support this effort. Good data can be an important foundation for change. And as you've said, if no one knows what's going on, then there won't be any change. We've also talked about how colleges respond to reported incidents of sexual assault. And I think that's very important. A school's response should be timely, should be appropriate, should be respectful. But I want to ask about work to prevent sexual assaults in the first place and how the federal government can help. Chief Stafford, uh, in your nearly 30 years serving in campus law enforcement, what did you or GW's administration do that proved effective in preventing sexual assaults on campus? I think the education efforts have to start with, um, we often focus the education efforts on on women because we assume that generally women are more frequently the victim of a sexual assault than men. Um, but I think we have to focus our education efforts on men. And we need to do that when they're, quite frankly, when they're in high school. Uh, we need to, we, we should be sending men to campuses who understand uh, respecting a woman, understand what consent is. I have huge concerns about the, the level of understanding and, and I have friends with teenage boys and I talk to them about their level of understanding of consent and, and they don't understand consent. And so I think the education efforts really need to be focused not only on women and, and not becoming the victim of a sexual offense, but on men and not victimizing women. I think it needs to go both ways. Ms. Bolger, would, would you like to weigh in on this? Uh, fo focusing just a bit more on the prevention part of this. 
Sure. So I think the most important thing about prevention education is that it starts early and it just keeps going. Um, this We need consent education and healthy relationship education in middle and high school and college. Um, it needs to start the week that first years get to campus and it needs to continue. I know that I had no recollection of any sort of orientation or education programming I received around this because as a first year in your first week, you're getting bombarded with so many messages and so much information. Um, and so it needs to be ongoing. I see a lot of schools uh, trying to slide by uh, by doing online prevention education. Mm -hmm. Online prevention education is not education. It needs to be in person. Um, and I think that it needs to be looking at the issue both from a skills and information-based level, telling students about their rights, telling students what consent education, what consent is, um, and also needs to be looking at it at a cultural norms, values-based level, talking about sexism and violence more broadly. Mm -hmm. President Napolitano, can you tell us a little bit more about what you've done on the UC system, what you found effective uh, or not uh, in terms of prevention? Uh, again, um, uh, it's an evolving area, uh, uh, in-person education, online supplements, compliments, the, those things can happen together, uh, experimenting with peer-to-peer -peer, uh, education programs, uh, bystander education uh, so that um, the, the overall campus community is more aware of what it should do if they are witness to an event. So those are the kinds of things that I think improve the overall climate. So I'm getting low on time here, but let me just ask this question because of where we are today. Where is it that the federal government can be helpful in this part of the making campuses safer? Um, what What is it that we should be talking about and thinking about here at the federal level? And, and I open this to anyone who'd like to respond. Don't all jump in at once. Uh, I, I'd like to talk about, for a second, about the issue of the MOUs uh -huh. that, that's in CASA. Uh, because I think the reason sexual assault survivors have been unwilling to report sex offenses to local police and campus police is because they're uncertain of what they're going to face. And... Uh, what they're going to deal with when they make the report. Are they going to be believed? Are they going to be challenged? Are they going to be made to feel irrelevant? Um, I think having or not having an MOU isn't going to change whether a survivor reports the incident to police or not. But most campus public safety leaders I know have requested MOUs of their local police. And the local police, if they have one, it's because the local police were willing. And if they don't have one, it's because the local police weren't willing. And there's, there's nothing behind that, you know, there's no teeth behind it that forces them to engage in getting into an MOU with the local police, with the campus police department. So I would like to see something that, that actually forces the hand of local and state uh, police agencies to, to actually engage with the campus police agencies. Because I know in D.C., every time there was a new chief of police, I went to them and asked for an MOU. All right. Every time I, I was refused. That's a very helpful point. Did anyone else want to say something quickly? Because I'm out of time now. I would just say very briefly that the two most important things from, from my perspective as a, as, a, as a former student and a survivor is mandated transparency from schools so we know what's actually going on and prospective students and their families know what to expect um, and enforcement from the Department of Education. Um, students uh, have really felt alone um, on their campuses in trying to deal with this and if the Office for Civil Rights can continue to step up, um, I'm confident things will change. Thank you. And since I'm out of time, I'll just add this as questions for the record. But thank you all very much. And, uh, you know, 
we've got to do everything we can to keep everyone safe on campus. And I really appreciate your being here today. It's our job to do what we can to help. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. That was Senator Elizabeth Warren addressing the issue of sexual assault on college campuses. And we talked about accountability as far as one of the young ladies mentioned just trans being transparent. And also, I like I mentioned earlier, the Title IX investigator coordinator or the Title IX coordinator to me has too much power. Like you're the gatekeeper between whether or not this claim gets investigated seems kind of silly to me as far as it should be a group of individuals that could have some checks and balances. I'm looking at an article on IndyStar.com, and it talks about Indiana University Bloomington, a Title IX coordinator who is tasked with investigating claims of sexual misconduct at the school, has resigned amid allegations he sexually assaulted a woman while attending an education conference. Now, I may be wrong, but if you have someone in such an important position at your university, you need some type of checks and balance in place so that you are assured that this person is handling all cases in a fair manner. My question, which is why I did the show, was why are so many schools handling these situations so poorly? Why is it so hard for them to get the idea of a complete investigation, gathering all the information and making sure the accused and the accuser are both represented fairly, especially if they're students. So they have the responsibility of protecting those students and making sure that they understand all sides of whatever story. Back to the CNBC article that I referenced earlier, Sarah Merriman, a spokeswoman for the advocacy group Safer, Students Active for Ending Rape, says the people who are supposed to be advocating for survivors have been hired by the school and they need to keep their jobs. She also believes that administrators feel that if they acknowledge campus rape, it would ruin ruin their image. I think she touched on it right there. Colleges and universities have to recruit students in order to keep those tuition dollars coming in. And no one wants to be known as the school where women go and get assaulted. That is not a fact that they want to print out and put on a neat flyer right next to the diversity pictures that they have. I can recall being back at, um, might have been Northern Illinois University, and our student newspaper had an unfavorable story about the school. And it was one of those times where they were doing recruiting visits and they were taking the recruits and the students and their parents all across campus. And they really didn't want to have these newspapers all around campus with this unfavorable story. That didn't help to sell the point of you should come to this university. And so you see that these schools most often drop the ball because they want to sweep this this issue under the rug. No, 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 that's that's not going to help us. And these students are losing out. Or you see in the sense of an athletic team, these high-profile colleges, such as the SEC or the ACC, Big Ten, often are 
basketball and football are generating money generating sports and so they are very very important to the university as far as bringing that money in and also people know what who Baylor is now and so you you have kids maybe in some small town in Indiana saying maybe I'd like to go to Baylor you know that seems like a pretty good pretty good school and so the reputation positive reputation is building from athletics which is good. Athletics should help the university and universities should support the athletic teams. But when it becomes a problem is when you have a sexual assault allegation against one of your high-profile athletes and then the spin machine starts to work. And But I, like I said, I do understand. Like I've become jaded where these athletes are often accused, sometimes unfairly. But that's why the investigation and has to be thorough and you can't handle it after the season especially if the person turns out that they're guilty could you imagine the victim has to watch this person win an award or win the Heisman or play the rest of the season knowing what they did so it's just sad that money it often comes back to money money sometimes rules how these universities act and of course no university is going to admit that. That wouldn't look good either. But their actions seem to indicate that. Seeing as how you have 139 investigations opened by the Title IX. When I was doing the, when I was going to pitch this for a larger radio station, I said, I bet you if I just Googled University of Wisconsin Madison, I said, I bet you they have a case going right now. And so I did that. And of course, the first thing that pops up, is a case that they're that they're investigating at UW Madison, and it says they are now under federal investigation for the handling of three sexual assault cases. So it's like an epidemic at this university. They don't have just one; they have three, which is among one of the highest of of universities. And so it's a problem everywhere. It's it's, it's not just at the Ivy League, or it's not just at a small campus. These are issues that are really affecting students just about everywhere. And men, women, it shouldn't be just a, you know, gender, one gender problem. It's affecting men and women, and it should be taken seriously. And, of course, as sexual assault on college campuses, it's been a problem. But now that more and more students are becoming involved in, like, social activism and their voices are being heard on, social media, you kind of see these problems being magnified as it should be. And celebrities are jumping in on it. Lady Gaga, she performed, I believe it was at the Oscars and she performed with women and they had different slogans and that was bringing, I guess, a light to this issue as well. And there's even, she even um, had something to do with this documentary called The Hunting Ground that's about the epidemic of sexual assaults afflicting college campuses in the U.S. and the failure of school administrators to protect their students and the survivors. And, of course, politicians like Hillary Clinton are taking a stance. And they've even done some, some, I guess, corrections to legislation that had already existed to try to 
talk about this problem as well. So the Federal Campus Sexual Violence Elimination Act, which is called Campus Save Act, which has been around for some years, and they've just done some uh, gave it new stipulations that will go beyond what it originally outlined. So people in Congress, people in the celebrity world, people in the sports world, they're aware of this issue. Some are trying to actively fix it, but more and more administrators need to get on board. You can't let the the issue of money and students uh, prevent you from actually helping the student that you have right now. Because you get these ESPN, outside-the-line documentaries with these heartbreaking stories. And that doesn't look good either. And so, as always, you can find any of my articles or my facts discussed today on my Facebook page at facebook.com backslash blackradio11 or Twitter at servingchrist11. And, you know, you can leave a message about the show whether you liked it, whether you didn't like it, maybe any future show ideas that you would like to hear on Stay Woke. And also look for the show on iTunes, on the podcast app, on your iPhone, or any Android. Look for 91.7 The Edge, WSUW. It has my show, a couple of shows here at the station. As always, make yesterday jealous by working harder today and give love even the darkest times. This issue of college sexual assault is going to continue to persist unless we do something. we got to keep the conversation going. So educate yourself. Educate a friend. Make sure that they know what rape culture is and how they shouldn't participate in it. It only stigmatizes certain people. Up next, DJ Special K is on his way. It's Hip Hop Hum Day. Call in to the station if you want to hear something. The number is 262-472-1312. I got a song called 90s Money for you.